Hello, welcome to What About the Music, a podcast brought to you by So Stereo. Today's guest is Casey McGrath. Casey is Chief Creative Officer at Night After Night. He's worked alongside brands like Jameson Irish Whiskey, Martel Cognac, Jägermeister, and is also the creative director of rock band Kings of Leon. Now, on to the episode. Good to chat, man. Thanks for, for making the time. Yeah, thank uh, you for having me. Obviously, we want to chat music, but uh, want to first uh, get more into your background. How did you get started in the world of advertising and, and in the world of music as well? I, I mean, I guess in the, the chicken or the egg of those two industries, music technically came first. Um, we definitely are not a traditional advertising firm, and that becomes more and more true as time goes on. Um, my business partner and I come from, first and foremost, production television production, film and TV production. Um, he worked at MTV, he was a producer on TRL back in the, you know, Carson Daly, Damien Fahey-led era, the golden era of TRL. And one of the uh, forms of entertainment that is sort of the foundation for a lot of what we consider to be, you know, branded content now, like the structure of that, short form, highly entertaining, influencer, centric, et cetera. Some of the pillars of what made that show and their segments and their bits successful and MTV in general is sort of the foundation of what branded content, internet content, web content is based on. My education is film, um, film school, came out, worked in production. And then we all kind of wound up working um, in music festival production, calling live cameras, um, doing artist interviews, you know, coming up with, you know, creative concepts to have, you know, entertaining behind the scenes segments and interviews that have that have concepts for the big partners like Superfly, Bonner Music Festival, C3, Austin City Limits and Lollapalooza. And we were sort of became the team that was doing all of the work with all the artists and the production at those festivals, which is where we met. Started a production company, produced television shows, all very music centric, pitched some original content ideas, all very music based. And then when YouTube was created, there was no, when we started our production company, YouTube didn't exist. A couple of years in, here, here, here it comes. Brands are just starting to dip their toe in the water and spending some money on putting branded content on the internet, which was a crazy idea at first. The only brands that could afford to do it were some of the bigger brands, brands like General Motors, for example. So they have their big agency, the big brand and GM. That ad agency hires us to come up with concepts that are going to work for short form branded content on the web, brand new idea. They bring us to the meeting because it's so far into them that we actually wind up in the room with, you know, young kids, I would say we were um, talking to high level marketing executives at the biggest brands in the world that are starting to be the first ones in on branded content on the web. It became clear to them in the meetings that those young guys are the ones that actually understand how this works. We don't need to go through you to talk to them. We're all in on this idea. And then we started to move the agency aside, have direct to client conversations. We scrambled, poached a bunch of our friends that worked in advertising, strategists, account managers, all the different departments and ad agency. We assembled what we considered to be a branded content ad agency um, with our first clients were General Motors and Yahoo and big clients like that, that were putting like a small portion of their spend onto the, onto the web. And we were building content series that felt very much like MTV. One great example of that is we created like a microsite, which used to be a very buzzy term, which you don't hear a lot anymore for General Motors called I've Got Shotgun, where we brought 
um, all the major events that they were the primary sponsor of that they had all this access to. We just piggybacked on that access shotgun rode along with GM to them like the Super Bowl. So the next thing you know, we're at the Super Bowl on this microsite and we're having go-kart races in the parking lot of the Super Bowl in Miami, sponsored by Cadillac, hosted by Queen Latifah and Paul Rudd. Like that very MTV thinking and we just boomed off the races, literally. And, and, and there it was. So we were doing that music television style stuff for big brands on the web. And we sort of were writing the book to some degree on what would become branded content. Branded content, as we know, has now become basically what advertising is. So we're, we're elder statesmen just because of how quickly things have, uh, have moved. From a music standpoint, it's interesting how, you know, you work in the advertising industry, you have an agency, right? Uh, but you also grew up with a passion for music. How did that passion start for you? And, and how do the two intersect uh, right now in your day-to-day? Music is a sort of, I guess, the, it almost loses its meaning as a passion point because it's so universal which is why it's such an effective tool for marketing every brand when they go through that really difficult exercise of developing their brand pillars. It's like, can we just cut to the chase and make music one of them? Music is a brand pillar for every brand. I mean, it's just that universal thing. But yes, certainly for me, very specifically, and maybe more than most, it is a passion point. My family has a lot of musicians. I grew up around music. I was out watching my older brother play and and his very good bands and bars in the Philadelphia and New York area growing up as a kid, sneaking in underage, helping them carry amps out, got a real lust for the life. Um, not a musician myself. So when you, when you have that starry eyed perception of the stage and the music and the whole thing, but you're not a musician yourself, you wind up working in the music industry. And, and, and so that was the thing. And I, I sort of felt like I don't play, so I'm going to learn how to, Make my instrument a camera. And this is and this is in the late the late 90s, you know. So it isn't like now that's also kind of lost its meaning because every band has got their own personal person with social media content and cheap prosumer cameras that are incredibly good. This is this was a much bigger lift in 1996, 97. Hmm. Um, so I'm gonna go to film school, which is pre-digital, shooting on film, learning everything, figure it out, and I'm gonna be a content creator that's going to use content to give me the experience of working in music and I'm going to make music videos and make music documentaries and be friends with the biggest artists in the world and go on tour and be on tour buses and be on private jets. And I did all that, you know, it all worked. The camera was the way through the door, you know? Yeah. But you were a fan first, right? And so a lot of times people lose sight of that and stop thinking themselves as, as fans and as, as people that really love music for, how it makes them feel, right? You know, they start thinking about numbers and, you know, what is this artist doing for my brand? Because how popular are they? How, you know, their popularity, how can that be, you know, a value add for my brand instead of, okay, what does this artist make me feel when I listen to his music, right? And so, like, it's it's good to see that you're always a fan first. And if you're a fan first, you know, that's how the most genuine connections are made, right? Absolutely. Music moves me in a very deep way. I believe that it is a very powerful um, way to tap into, you know, memories and moments and experiences. I mean, I think that they say like scent is the most strong sense that brings you back into a memory, but I think that music is a, the most powerful like portal back to like an emotional time and space. Like when that song was playing, I was doing this. When that album came out, I remember that whole summer 
like that type of stuff. And, and just like the way they can evoke emotions, nostalgia, excitement, make you tap your feet. It becomes very powerful tools for brands to use to tap into those things for different reasons, to convey messages, to you spend so much time determining what's our tone of voice. What's the main consumer takeaway we want from this? And a song is this great tool to focus on, invest in, make a primary point uh, uh, to uh, make it part of your strategy about how this consumer-facing content is going to go out into the world. Music is such a gigantic part of that. I know that your business is, uh, I think I read or, or heard somewhere that you have said it's 50% of the of, of what's working in the spot. And I and I actually think in, in some instances, it's, it's, it's even more than that. And that's why segueing into the thread of all of your conversations with everybody, I love the name of the of the podcast. It's some whoever came up with it. If it was if it was you, <laughs> I said I said to myself, whoever this person was has definitely been in the same rooms that I've been in. Is worked in the same industry that I work in, because it's, it happens all the time. Somebody comes in very proud of themselves and says, you know, at some point we're going to start thinking about what we're going to do about music. You know, what are we going to do about music? And it's way too late in the process. They feel very proud of themselves that they're, the, that they're the first one to start thinking about saying that soon we need to start thinking about music. And it is backwards. And I have had some experiences where we've led with it. And those have always just worked so well because in that moment, either a team was appropriately prioritizing it or it was a happy accident, but it's always worked. Yeah, no, and we want to hear about those. And, you know, like you said, it's always the last line item. And at the end of the day, there's a lot of people that are involved when it comes to, to the music process within advertising. It all starts with, you know, the creative team putting together a brief and then that all goes to production. Then production needs to select their vendors right? and their vendors need to present ideas. Right. And then there's just so many people around it. So the earlier you start, the better it is for everyone to contribute amazing ideas, right? But if you start late, everyone is running. And so it reduces the chances of making something great. And then with, when it comes to timeline, you know, a lot of times you need, you need time to secure the rights. You need time to get everyone on board. So the earlier you start, the better off you are. Um, and so a lot of times with this podcast, we've been asking a lot of producers, creatives, why? Why do you start so late? And obviously there's good reasons, right? There's other priorities, but what about the music? That's the title of, of the podcast. And, you know, music is so important. And you said it's more than 50%. So maybe it should take priority than those, than those other elements that are involved when it comes to creating the videos, hiring the directors, right? Other post-production elements, right? So it's very important what we're doing here. And, and I thank you for, for uh, jumping on here. Talk to us a little bit more about Night After Night you know, some of the work that you've done, obviously, I know you've done some, some Jameson work. Um, you know, I was reading into that and I love, you know, the direction that you've taken uh, with that brand. And, and also when it comes to music, you've done some, some great crossover there. Can you talk to us more about, about the brand and the work that you've done with them? Yeah. I mean, we're the people that, that are not thinking about music too late. I mean, that's kind of our big, you know, badge that we wear on our arm when we walk in the room. You know, you almost as a brand wouldn't call us unless you're wanting to make music a priority in your comms, um, because that's our specialty. Because we work directly with artists, we 
know that industry very well and we are well networked within that industry, we can work directly um, liaise between a brand and direct to artists with management, which is not how that typically works. There's a lot of other people in place, talent agencies and, and, and protocols and systems and slowness and a lot of the reasons that the issue that you just outlined exists is because of a lot of that tape that's in place and a lot of those players making things more challenging and more difficult and slower than it, than it needs to be. But most importantly, and I agree with you, it starts on the brand side. The brand needs to change more than anyone needs to change about how they're prioritizing it. So if you're on the phone with us, that's you're basically a brand that's already saying, we are prioritizing music. We know what you do. We know that your absolute specialty is, first of all, developing campaigns that are about expressing the brand's values through shared value campaigns, which are typically done through artist partnerships. Those artists are primarily musicians. And what we're going to be doing is partnering with the musician and we're going to be doing a music-centric campaign program experiences using our pillar, our brand pillar of music to communicate what we stand for as a brand to our consumers through music. That's why you would call us. It took us years to get to that point, but over the last four years, we've really become specialized and experts in the intersection of where brands and the music industry come together. It's really challenging first and foremost, because the two different industries operate on vastly different timelines. And what's frustrating building on what you just said is that a brand will plan out spending 18 months, two years in advance. They will develop and design packaging with an accept lead times that are six months, seven months, eight months, um, minimums on things, PR, print, they'll accept lead times. But then in production, it's a, and, and, and music and the content and the things, it's this melee where we need it next week. There's some, some lead time on this would improve the quality of the outcome of how this whole thing is going to go. The end product is going to be better if you apply some of the same prioritization and accept some of the some lead time in this part of it too. So we can go and find the right artist and find the right thing and have some time. So, and not create this last minute underfunded panic on the thing that people are actually going to see. It sounds incredibly logical and like, and that, and that it would be almost, almost common sense, but it's just a broken part of the, uh, of, of the process. That's got, that's too big of a shift to turn around. Yeah. And I think it's just, they put more importance, right? At the end of the day, that's what it is. I'm not saying everyone does it, but they just put more importance into other elements. And there's, as you said, there's so much planning uh, for all the other elements. Why not just plan for music as well and, and take that into account, right? Mm -hmm. Well said there. And, and so when it comes to Jameson, talk to us a little bit about the work that you've done there. It's the best example of the work that we've done of what we're talking about, because to their credit, at that time, they had a team of people running the brand that was, I mean, just a dream to work with, true partners. And I'll pause on that moment for a second, because I used the word partners. And there, there was a moment in time, historically, we all know the traditional Madison Avenue style agency and the picture of that and how that worked and functioned in that golden age of, you know, famous taglines and through the eighties and Mike, he likes it commercials and that kind of stuff. Then it changed and it morphed into this, you know, middle era. And we 
we're kind of coming in on the tail end of that, where there was a partnership, where we were brought in as, as creative partners, where there was some acknowledgement and in, in many cases, in my experience, it actually said out loud on the brand side, we don't know this. They know this. That's why they're here. Let's listen to them. And that's how a partnership works. You know, they know this, we know that we're working together to get to a place to, together. And you wouldn't be paying us the fees that you pay an agency to do this unless you valued us as, as, as a partner. It was much less service oriented where it was just like, go do this, go do this. I'm putting in orders, giving feedback, being very prescriptive, overly leading the charge. You know, So the team that we had there 10 years ago, eight years ago, seven years ago, over time evolved into this truly great partnership. Music rose to the top of the priority because of who we were and what we were doing and what we were bringing to them from you know insights and strategy and the potential of what we could do with a music program. And we started to slide really good uh, dollars over to music. And over that nine-year run with them, we brand grew from an 800,000 case volume to about 4 million case volume uh, with, with me as a creative director and us as an agency in the United States with music as our loudest voice of all of our comps. Proof that it works, right? Proof that it works. It's one of of the most successful and meteoric and steepest line chart lines of growth in the history of the spirits industry. And it happened during a period of time where a courageous team was operating in a true partnership with an agency that they trusted to make music a much bigger priority, spend much more money on it, let it lead. And let's have value-based, shared value-based campaign work with music as the centerpiece to connect with consumers on shared value campaigns through music and bring them in deeper and recruit new people and shift perception of the brand. And most importantly, grow fast without losing credibility. Because fast growth for brands is a death blow to credibility. And Jameson's most important thing was how cool it was. And big brands aren't cool. Small brands are cool. So if they become big, they lose cool. So basically that was like the late in layman's terms was our, was, you know, years of work and thousands of slides later. If you guys are going to grow the fastest, fastest you're growing, you got to make sure you stay cool. If you want to stay cool, you got to spend more money on music. And if you want to spend money on music, don't do it at just the top tier level in, in partnerships that people see through and don't believe in do it local, do it ground, do it indie, be on the street, connect with the local communities inside of the influential centers of neighborhoods in the cities that are driving growth for your brand. Get to know the actual people that love your brand at the independent music level and form a relationship with them and then create growth in these influential pockets and let that radiate around the whole country. Don't take my word for it. There's plenty of people out there um, including lots of people at other spirit brands that considered to be some of the best spirits marketing work in the last decade. Uh, and I've heard it enough times to feel confident saying it out loud because it's not me saying it, it's everybody else. And it was music that led it. Yeah. No, and, and it's, it's funny you, you mentioned that because the concept of borrowed equity, right? And you mentioned doing things more at a regional level, uh, granular level, like local, make sure that you, you go into detail with these campaigns, right? How can we get the most of it? And so like, because there's a concept of borrowed equity where, oh, let me get that artist because that artist is massive and he's hot right now. His streams are through the roof in the last three months. So it just makes sense to go with him because my followers are going to like him. 
And so like, since my followers are going to like him, they're going to like my brand. Right. But that's just not necessarily the way it is. Right. You have to like, people are very smart these days and they can see through that. And so like that just comes off as lazy a little bit. Right. So like if you do the work and you really go to the specifics, why, right. Answer the question. Why is this artist a good fit with this brand? Obviously emotionally, what does a song do to the, to the spot, but also like the artist is also a brand, right? So what similar traits does the brand and the artist have and, and how do those two mesh well together instead of just saying, Oh, he's, uh, he's in the top 40 charts and, and people are loving it. And my age group is part of their age group. And, and, you know, you know what I'm trying to say? So like, it's just yeah. going a little bit deeper, right? Yeah. And I mean, there is a way to do it right at, at an A-list level um, and, and to, you know, get around that the thinness of that, you know, shameless borrowed equity play. Um, and it is really having a you know, strong understanding of the brand strategic thinking and making sure there is true alignment with the artist's cast to represent those brand values. And with a brand like Martel Cognac and their, and their launch of the new product innovation of Blue Swift, which was the first you know, Cognac that was aged in bourbon barrels, which is a big deal and sort of a very strong decision because the world of cognac has a lot of rules and you don't break them. And so for them to be breaking this rule was this example of a value of saying, we believe in this bold innovation and we're not going to apologize for breaking these centuries old rules. So you have a strategic idea that's born out of that, of of sort of just living life on your own terms and being unapologetic and not saying sorry and succeeding by believing in yourself and whatever you think is right and just moving forward and being unapologetic, et cetera. And then you kind of, you know, get to this idea that that's as a brand, that's how we're going to behave. There are our target. It's a positive message for our target. That's being told they need to change who they are in order to succeed. We don't think that's true. Let's make that message. It's a positive message. Let's partner with an artist who has done that and succeeded and is a shining example of that exact point and living, breathing every day of, the, of, of their lives. You find Quavo, who's the most unapologetic person potentially in the entire music industry who just has these big, crazy ideas and they come fast and he just executes on them with belief in himself and never apologizes and people respect it and it, and it works. How did that uh, collaboration came to be with, with Quavo and, and Martel? Like, how did that start? It came in a gift box of, for us because Martel was already identifying him as, as a partner. And then we were brought in to sort of like say, this makes sense. We know it makes sense. But how does the consumer really understand why this makes so much sense? So we built a campaign that was about that idea of just like sitting on your own terms and, and, you know, in the campaign for consumer facing became about making your statement. And then we wind up, you know, producing assets that star him. And obviously within that there's music, obviously it's his music. We find a track that has the repeating refrain of walk it like I talk it. So it's just about like, if you're going to say it, do it. So now we have this spot on brand message completely on strategy, essentially could be a tagline for the, for the campaign that, that, that we're building. And it's the repeated line that's in the song. That's him. That's the background of the asset that shows him embodying the spirit of the brand. And it kind of all clicks. And so that's all to say that you can work with the biggest rapper in the world and have it ring true 
do that hard thing of having consumers actually see a piece of content in the modern world, which is hard enough, and then barely pay attention, walk away. And if you said, stopped it real quick and said, did you see that, that Martel Blue Swift ad? Like, oh yeah, I, I saw it. What, what, what was it about? They might actually answer with your brand message because the song was saying it, because the person embodies it, because the taglines that make your statement, it was short, it was punchy, all the boxes were checked. And that's the job, the song and the music and the casting and the alignment was uh, all singing from the same hymn book there and it worked. So it can be done if it's done right. But looping back to your point and what's more on theme for what we're supposed to be talking about, Jameson, we were brought in to scramble to um, create a 30-second spot for TV because there were some things that were out there that working, measurements were back in, people weren't getting it. Some of the data coming back in was that people weren't like, you know, sort of like getting the right takeaways or what we wanted them to be saying or whatever. So we needed to make a new asset. So it was, it was like a little bit of a retrofit creative assignment, but we had a strong strategy. We knew what we needed to say. We had a tremendous amount of, of, of content that really looked and felt like how we felt very strongly the brand should be looking and feeling had the right tone. And we went down and worked with our editor, uh, Roy Pearson, who's a pretty good music supervisor. I think he could make a career shift and just kind of focus on, on that. He has his own passion for music and he's, you know, has a long reaching arm into what's new and exciting and, and, and good taste. And as an editor, he can really close that gap really quickly to know what's going to fit in for, for pacing and, and, and emotion and, and, and message. So he put the song from by, by Whitney golden days in the um, asset. This was not something that we knew we had a budget for. It was not something that anyone at the brand was saying, think about the music. It was not, it was, it was an afterthought, but it was just, it was just in there and being like, this is the right tone. This is the right message. This feels good. And because we had that good relationship with our, with, with the people at that time working at the brand, we are like, this song is what's making this spot feel so nostalgic and emotional and so powerful. And you haven't told us about the music budget. I, I bet that you're thinking we're going to get someone to quickly compose something for X amount of dollars, or we're going to go into some sort of library and pull something out. And you don't have money for music. You don't have money for music. But if you pull this song out, this what you're liking about this is gone. This is the song. And it's Whitney. Let's call our friends at uh, what is it, Secretly Canadian and give them some good news. Like, this is what you should be doing. You're a brand that is, supports independent artists. Let's go and get him, give them some money and have, put their song in this ad. And we did it. And it was great. We called them. It was easy. We had a good conversation. They got a nice check. And now that song, to me, is a song that I, that I didn't know at the time. It was introduced to it by the, by the person that placed it in the asset in a rough cut. And it, and then when you eventually look at the video, it's like the bands in this like small bar and they're hanging out with their friends and they're having fun. And it's just everything that the whole campaign was about. The song has this great uh, feel of nostalgia to it. It says golden days. And you've seen this a like, golden liquid pouring and the word golden's being said, it's all just lining up perfectly. And now that, that, that song is a song that I love. It's the band that I discovered. I've told many people about it. Probably a lot of those 2 million views that that single has on YouTube is me and my friends and everybody else and people that discovered it from this, from this ad. I hope that, that that's true. Certainly for me, my relationship with that artist and that specifically that song is so positive 
because of my discovery of it through a brand. So that sounds like it's the kind of thing we're supposed to be talking about. For sure. No, and that's super impactful. And you also mentioned about that, that there was the idea of, hey, this is the perfect song, but, but maybe let's just try to get a composer uh, and see if they can replicate it. Uh, like someone had some, some of that idea just because they said that it would be too hard to get the artist to buy in or to get the rights because that happens so, so many times where they find the right song, right? And just because they think that it's not going to be either affordable or even feasible or it's going to be too time consuming to even attempt to seek the rights or get the artist's approval, they just try to, you know, go the easier route and do something in that style or just try to do right with a composer and replicate that. And that's kind of like where you lose all yeah. the massive potential that you're just talking about with Whitney and Golden Days, right? We do it all. We do, we, we do it all the time. We have relationships with, with, with composers that are in and of themselves independent artists that are talented musicians that are trying to make a living as musicians that are close friends of ours and partners of ours that we're happy to call and work with and, and give them inspiration tracks and build something that is effective. So that's not something that I, that in my experience with those individual people that we work with time and time again and provide their version of an independent music career. That's a positive part of it. But your point is more right in that if you have a true partnership with your client and you can go in and say, I, the creative director on the, on the campaign, I want to run it this way. I want to do like, you know, let get some NDA signed, talk to this partner that has this, you know, library of independent artist talent and these songs and they're organized and beef them on the brand strategy, tell them what we're trying to communicate, express the tone of voice, the message, the, you know, the demographic, the insights that we have of who they are and educate them on how our business works and have them say, this artist reaches those kinds of people. This artist evokes that tone. This song has that message And then let us start to present ideas back to you in the first round of thinking with this strategic song placement in place. That's also not a budget busting thing because we're focusing on independent artists. And if you're a brand in 2021, chances are you are claiming to some degree that you have some intention of supporting independent artists. It's almost table stakes at this point. So you're saying it. I was in the meeting And there's a plan to support independent artists and you, and, and you do it through some sort of like fund or some sort of thing or some crooked journey that a dollar goes through that nobody that I know an independent artist ever seems to see. But why not just go straight to it and uh, change some lives and put some cameras on it and tell that story. And we did do that with what we did with the Love and Neighborhood campaign. We did do that with what we did with the Best Fest program and God, when we were doing those shows for Jameson years and years ago, I mean, that stage had everybody from, you know, Johnny Depp and Kings of Leon and the Black Keys and Kesha and everybody else on the stage to this incredible pool of independent artist talent that I met. So many people through that, people that I work with to this day and have introduced to so many people that are just, you know, some of the most talented um, musicians quite literally in the world right now that we brought onto some great stages and introduced to a lot of people, their relationship with that brand at that time was this brand is changing my life. That's how those people felt. And those people in their communities are extremely influential 
they may not have 3 million Instagram followers or have the stats that make them attractive to a brand and a presentation about who we're partnering with. And so that you can number crunch them, but in within their communities, they are the cool kids in town that are out at the bar that are playing the shows. And right now in this moment, they actually, they're not just working with a the brand, they love this brand. And they're there being like, you know, in quiet rooms with no cameras, thanking your brand in a bar and people are ordering it. That's how a brand grows. It worked. And it was all about what we're talking about. It was, it was really a, a special thing. And I'm so happy that I got to experience it because when we have these kind of conversations, I, I get to not speak hypothetically about whether or not it's true, whether or not we have this hunch. I mean, it's, it's one of the best case studies in the history of, of spirits marketing. And it was all based on what we're talking about. And it did change people's lives. And those people did really, truly, those influential people um, truly loved uh, a brand because they acknowledged that what the brand was doing was sincere and it was, um, it was changing their lives. I mean, brands have a massive opportunity to really contribute to an artist's career, independent artists, right? So it's just uh, so rewarding. And if done right, the artist in his own right will want to share the brand because he generally likes the brand and wants to share with his followers. And you said it. You know, he may have 15,000 followers, but those 15,000 followers really appreciate the artists and are more engaged with him than someone that has, I don't know, 500,000. And from those 500,000 that they have, only 10,000 are generally invested in the artist. So it's like about the quality, right, of uh, the artist to their fan relationship as well. But this is massive and, and it's all about social impact as well. And, and people that consume these products on a day-to-day -day basis, they, they see through that. They're, they're smart. So if you're doing a brand-to-artist collaboration, do it right and the benefits will be huge. They're smart and they are jaded and they are over it. <laughs> and brands are underestimating them. And they're spending tons of money and desperately trying to reach them while underestimating them. And, 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 but they're also simultaneously identifying music as this incredibly important piece um, that's their number one thing. Number one thing is music. We're going to lean into music and we're going to, you know, whatever that idea that they're going to see through it is just, is just a fact, but the opposite is always true. If it is authentic and genuine, they're going to know that it's real. Try and try and get someone with 3 million followers to truly love your brand, separate the partnership from the paycheck because they're just so genuinely in this moment of, of true mutually beneficial partnership. And they're talking about that brand in an unsolicited way. You can't do it. It, it. it all gets down to this idea of like fighting about, I want 10 in grid posts for the check I'm writing you. And the artist saying, I want to put zero in grid posts for the check you're writing me. I'll do stories. I won't do it in my grid. I have a brand. I have this. So you're fighting. It, it, it starts with a fight yeah. and it's a fight about, I want more. And then the, the, uh, the person, the artist team saying, we're not going to give you that much and we want to do less and you, you can give us more money. Maybe we'll give you more, but we think we're giving more. And you have this gap where we think we're over delivering for the money you're paying us. And then a brand's always thinking, we're paying you so much money and we're not getting enough. And that is how you're starting the conversation. You're, that is not a pathway to love that we've achieved with working with independent artists, but they become evangelists for your brand. There's something so obvious about the truth in that statement that has to be a thing that leads us to 
you know, a better way of, of, of brands working with, uh, with musicians. Yeah. And they just said separate the partnership from the paycheck, have it start first because of the general reasons why you want to work on it. And just the example of, of, of Quavo, I'm sure it was easy to get him involved because he believed in the campaign and he believed in the brand. Right. So if that happens first, you'll have an easier time securing the rights with, with the labels and the publishers and, and all the, the people involved. Uh, but there is hope, Casey, there is hope. A lot of brands are thinking about music differently. A good example is, you know, we, we worked on a Google Nest uh, home entertainment spot with the agency Arts and Letters. They got to feature an album artwork from one of our artists and their song on one of their spots. And, and that was huge, right? And this is an artist that, that has, you know, 15,000 followers. So they're pretty small up and coming. But, you know, a brand like Google Nest, right, they're able to think in this way and, and create such an impact. There is hope and a lot of brands are catching up. Mm-hmm. And that's why we're doing this podcast to make music important, share these stories. And for the brands that are not thinking about it this way, make them more of a believer. Hey, this is night after night. Look at what they've done. Look at all the work that they've done with music and how the brands have, you know, gotten into new levels of success with that approach. And maybe that could be the next bet for one of these brands that, that is hearing this, that, that is not doing that right now. So it's very important, and I really appreciate you coming on. Before uh, we end this, we like to ask everyone that comes on here, what type of music are you listening to these days? Honest, <laughs> unimpressive answer is that so much stress and anxiety right now in, in, in life and personally, professionally, and globally that I'm listening to this like really <laughs> like thing. I think it's called Jazz for Broken People. And I just play in the background of my house, like sort of around the clock, just as a meditative background music to my life. From an artist standpoint, like who I'm a fan of right now, I mean, this is going to sound like a fake answer, but it's not. It's like I've become such a huge fan of some of the artists that I've gotten to meet through the work that we do with brands because you get to know them personally, but they're just these incredible, talented people. I mean, so many of the artists that we met, and, and there's hundreds that, I, that I've met through working with brands and with the Best Fest program that have become my favorite artists to on repeat. I mean, someone like Robert Ellis, for example, is a person that you know I've, I've known for actually a long time and to my friend circle kind of brought him in to working with, with the brands, but I have become a bigger fan through watching him work on the brands and seeing that level of talent, one of the, one of the you know, best musical minds in the world right now. I listen to him at home all the time just because it makes me feel inspired. The talent is just so um, inspiring. And, yeah. you know, and, we, and we've done some things together on, on personal projects that for brands and stuff like that. And we have this, um, we become close friends um, through this work that we've done together and we become partners. And, and he's a kind of person that, you know, I'm such a, I'm such a, we open to a bookend our conversation with this. Cause we open with, I'm a fan and I'm a creative director for Kings of Leon. And they trust me because they know that I'm a fan of their band. They know that they don't doubt that never doubted that for a second in the last 12 years. But a person like Robert Ellis, I'm a huge fan and we're going to work together and we're going to build stuff. And we talk about brand work all the time because I brought him into this weird twisted world and he looks at it and just, it's just hilarious to him to see the thinking, to see behind the curtain of, He's a musician, an independent musician that has a huge, um, passionate fan base. The people that know him love him. He's an artist, artist, the biggest artist in the world to respect him to the highest level. And I brought him into this brand space and he's gotten to see behind the curtain, like I said, and he's just like, this is hilarious and fascinating. So we have this crazy idea that I shouldn't say out loud because it's, we haven't done it yet. 
but it's so specific and so amazing that if anyone stole it, I would know that they heard this and stole it because you can't have this same idea. But we want to do an an album of unsolicited jingles and sell them as NFTs. So just songs for brands. I wrote this song for this brand, 12 of them, and just write these incredible songs for brands that that brand will, will put in front of them and say, you hear this? You didn't care. You didn't ask. You didn't hire us. But this is the best thing that anyone's ever done for your brand maybe ever, certainly in recent history. And here it is. What are you going to do about it? We're going to start as an NFT. We're going to get some press. We're going to do this whole thing. Who knows if we're really going to do this or not? But the entire point of this creative exercise, and it's a really, it's it's a form of art beyond music to do something like that. It's a statement, is to make a point about what your business is built on and what we're talking about, is that look at these 12 pieces of music that are better work than any of those 12 brands have done in music ever in their lives no one asked for it. Here's unsolicited jingles for 12 brands, for sales NFTs. Come sue us. It's an art piece. Call us, pay us. Let's see what happens. Yeah. You heard that here first. You heard <laughs> that first year. So we'll we'll know we'll know if you steal this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, awesome. Casey, this is great. Uh, thank you so much for for coming on. I, I really appreciate it.